0: Hey, can I ask you a question? Uh, do you know what I mean or maybe what someone would mean when they would say to you, hey, get a grip. Do you know what they mean by that? Get a grip. Maybe uh, you've been in a situation where you're overreacting about something and you're, just, you're in a bit of a panic and almost hyperventilating and somebody will say to you, dude, get a grip. Calm down. Or perhaps you're in a situation where, you know, it's not a moment, but it's kind of a life circumstance, and you're caught up in some kind of trap, and you're spiraling out of control into some chaos in your life, And, and a good friend will give you some good counsel and say, you need to get a grip on your life. Or even a teacher. I know a lot of you are teachers and educators. and So maybe you've said to your classroom of students, I really want to help you get a grip of this concept. Uh, I want you to get a grip on these algebraic equations or uh, on these, um, these uh, principles that we're learning in the classroom. What it means, as all of you know, is you, you need to take control Of your life. You need to take control of your uh, emotions, or you need to get a hold of this concept. We're gonna be talking about that phrase a lot over the next few weeks. You're gonna hear me over the next four Sundays say to you, get a grip. A number of times in fact I'm probably going to ask you over these weeks to say that phrase as well so would you help me preach would you look to your neighbor right now maybe this is something you've wanted to say to the person you're sitting next to for a while and know whether you know them or not just tell them get a grip man come on get a grip that's good get a grip we're going to be talking specifically over these next few weeks about getting a grip on your money getting a grip on our possessions or getting a grip on this idea of living in this world with the things that God has entrusted to us you know in all the areas of our finances the way that we think about possessions and money the way that we our, our actions or activities when it comes comes to uh, our money or possessions All of us need to get a grip. And here's what I know. I don't think this, by the way. I know this. This subject matter that we're going to study the Scriptures concerning over the next few weeks is relevant to every single person in the room and every person watching Online. You know, sometimes I might preach a subject and I'll say, well, there are some folks in the room, this doesn't really apply in their life. You know, I said when Tracy came up, hey guys, you can tune out. This is for the women. There there are some things that we would say, this doesn't really apply to me. Well, can I tell you, this applies to everybody. All of us make multiple financial decisions or material decisions every single day of our lives. You've already done it this day. I will guarantee you that this morning when you crawled out of your cozy bed and you, you uh, waddled over to the thermostat, which you probably had turned way down in the night, and you started pushing that thermostat up, some of you thought about the rising cost of fuel oil when you did that. You were aware that that propane is more expensive or energy costs are more expensive this year than they were last year. So you've thought about it, right? This is a a thing that we think about. Maybe you stopped on the way in and you put gasoline in your car and it didn't cost you $1.89 a gallon. But it costs you $3.30 and what, 30 or $0.40 cents a gallon probably now. And you, you probably fussed a little bit about that because that's what we do at the gas pump. But you thought about it. You were considering the cost of, uh, of gasoline. You probably, most of you have thought about this today. You've probably made a decision about giving today. You've decided to give or you've decided not to give. You've considered the joy of giving or you've decided you can't afford to give. Or, but you've thought about it, right? You've, you've, uh, you've come to church and so you've thought about this idea of giving. Maybe you've said, well, are we going to go out to lunch today after church and we're going to uh, go out and have a meal together? Maybe you've considered what that will cost uh, maybe when you were coming to work this morning, you pulled up to a traffic light and there was somebody standing there with a sign and they're asking for a little bit of money. And so you, you've made a decision do I avoid eye contact and I'm not going to give them a dollar? Or am I going to roll my window down and give them a dollar? And you've thought about, well, what's their situation and what's going to happen to that dollar? And you understand? We all, multiple times every single day, we deal with this idea, this, these, these uh, concepts of money and things. And possessions. And so, over the next four Sundays, we're going to talk about what does the Bible say to Christians about our money? What does the Bible say to Christians about our money? Now, some of you may be thinking, well, this seems like a pretty unspiritual. Uh, sermon series pastor I mean you just came out of this series on Joseph right and we were digging deeply into the truths of God's word as it relates to Joseph and yet in the study of Joseph we were talking about things like our future and our suffering and our family and and, uh, forgiveness and very practical things that all of us need to learn and maybe you think about money or possessions as the kind of things that that's kind of an unspiritual thing for us to spend a few weeks talking about Well, if you think that way, let me remind you of something that maybe you haven't considered. Did you know that of approximately 40 parables that Jesus delivered as recorded in the Gospels, and it depends on how you count them, some say 38, some say 41, 42, but of approximately 40 parables, you know what a parable is? Pastor Chris Owens preached on the parable of the prodigal son last week, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Of approximately 40 parables that Jesus delivered that are recorded in the Gospels, at least 15 of them deal straightforward with these issues of money and possessions. Others of them deal with it more in a uh, a sort of a sideline kind of way, but at least 15 are dealing directly with money and possessions. It means that when you think about the most practical life application teaching that Jesus delivered at least nearly half of what he taught had to do with our attitudes and actions toward money and possessions. you got to ask the question, why? Why why would Jesus spend so much time teaching us to get a grip on this thing of money and possessions? We're going to learn why. We're going to see it in our text today. But here's why. It's because our possessions... Take your hand and do it like that, like you're holding some coins. Our our money and our heart... Do this with your other hand. Our money and our heart are never too far apart. That's why Jesus talked about it. Look at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Jesus didn't say treasure on this hand... Heart, spiritual issues on that hand and they never really have anything to do to, with each other. No, he said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And that's why he taught us about these things because they're not unspiritual, earthy things. In fact, they are very deeply spiritual and relevant to our all of our life issues. And one of the things I know about Brookstone Church, and it's one of the things that I love about you so much, is that you are always hungry to receive the Word of God and you want it delivered without compromise, and you want to know what the the Word of God says and you want to learn to live by it. so I'm grateful that you, you are that kind of church, and I'm excited to spend these days talking uh, about these things with you. We're going to focus on four things over the next four weeks. We're going to talk about getting a grip on gratitude. That's today. Learning to live with gratitude. That seems uh, very uh, reasonable to do today as we approach Thanksgiving this week. Uh, learning to get a grip on gratitude. Uh, We're going to talk about learning to get a grip on generosity over the next week or so. What does generosity look like, and why should I care about generosity? As I go into this holiday season, how should generosity characterize my life, not only as I approach Christmas, but as I go through all of my life, every day of my life? We're going to talk about getting a grip on stewardship. What does it mean to be a steward, really understanding stewardship? And then we're going to talk uh, in the final week about getting a grip on generational impact. What does it mean to be able to, to manage what God gives me in a way that it makes a difference when I'm gone? And I'm not just consuming it all while I'm here. So that's what we'll talk about over the the coming Sunday. Today we're going to start with gratitude, getting a grip on gratitude. You have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter number 6, which you'll know, many of you will know, is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6 is the center chapter of the three-chapter content of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the sermon that Jesus delivered uh, near the beginning of his ministry to say to those people who were coming after him, if you read Matthew chapter number four, you find the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his baptism, his temptation in the wilderness, and then his arrival in Capernaum in Galilee region to preach the kingdom and begin. His ministry and he's healing people, and the crowds are coming from all over the place. In fact, Matthew chapter number four ends by listing all of the regions and even the nations surrounding Israel that people are flocking to the land of Galilee to see this healer, this Messiah, this king who has come. And they come with all of their preconceived ideas. We do that too, don't we? Maybe you came to church today with some preconceived ideas of what this Jesus is about and what it looks like for me to serve him. We, we arrive, as they did, with our preconceived ideas, our conceptions of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Christ understood that many of those people who were coming to follow him didn't understand what his kingdom was like, and so he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount was, to, was intended to say to them, let me tell you what you're getting into. I mean, really, that was it. Let me tell you what you're signing up for. You didn't just come for me to heal you and think I'm going to overturn Rome and, and, and everything's going to be like you want. Let me tell you what it looks like to live in my kingdom. By the way, has Jesus ever said anything to you like that? You showed up thinking A, and Jesus said, well, let me tell you about B, C, and D. Because this is what it looks like. Serve me. This is his message where he teaches us, he's instructing us on how to live within his kingdom. Write this down. Here's the big idea of the Sermon on the Mount that when Christ is my king, when Christ is my king, then every aspect of my life is being transformed. That's the Sermon on the Mount in a nutshell. That when Christ is my king, when I'm living his kingdom, he's going to transform everything about my life. Have you ever said, it's just the way I am. It's the way my daddy was. It's the way my granddaddy was. It's the way I am. I ain't changing. Well, can I just say to you, you've got a problem with Jesus. Because if you're not changing... Then Jesus is not working in your life because if He's operating in your life, He's going to be transforming you. Um, you know, maybe you you say things like, "Well, well, I, I don't like change. I'm opposed to change." Well, I get that. I mean, change is hard, but we can't be walking with Jesus if we're not willing to change. When Christ is our King, then He's going to change everything about us. And so, Jesus begins His His. Um, his ministry by preaching this Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on Kingdom Living, in which he deals with all, I mean, every aspect of human responsibility and, uh, and relationships. He deals with very earthy kinds of things. I mean, when you read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he deals with morality and immorality. He deals with righteousness versus uh, unrighteousness. He deals with anger and forgiveness, revenge. He, he deals with grief and loss. He talks to us in this sermon about integrity and hypocrisy. He talks about how we relate to God, what it looks like to worship the Lord with our life. He talks about how to pr- teaches us how to pray in this message. He deals with marriage and divorce. He deals with family issues. He talks about lust and greed. I'm simply saying, he says, when you come into my kingdom, all of your life comes with you. And in the kingdom, this is the way we function. And so he doesn't just talk about all the things that I just mentioned, but he also, and you'll see it in our text today, he talks about money and possessions. So when I come into the kingdom, guess what comes with me? Everything that God has entrusted to me. All my money, all my possessions, all that I have, all that I am, it all comes with me. And Jesus says, I want to talk to you about those things. I want you to get a grip. So let's read the text. Beginning in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19. Matthew six nineteen says, Lay not up treasures for yourselves Uh, "...upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light or the lamp of the body is the eye." If therefore your eye be single, focused, then your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye is evil, uh, or unclear, or even diseased, or blind, if your eye is evil, then your whole body shall be full of darkness. Therefore, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Here's the simple truth, verse number 24. You cannot serve God in money or God in wealth. You cannot serve God in mammon, the King James says. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, neither do they gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his height? And why do you take thought for clothing, for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin, that is, they don't spin yarn on a loom, they don't make clothing. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these little lilies. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall Take thought of the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Uh, By the way, I just want to say before we begin to unpack this, this passage, I love the tenderness and the winsomeness of Jesus in his teaching. If you have a pen in your hand, would you go to verse number 19 and I want you to circle the word treasure in verse number 19? Treasure or treasures. Then in verse number 24, if you would, circle the word mammon. If you have a King James, you have a more modern translation, it's going to say money or wealth. Mammon. So treasures, verse 19. Money, verse 24. And then verse 25, if you will circle the words for food and clothing. That is what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will put on. Food or clothing. He talks about... Uh, earthly necessities, treasures, money, clothing, food, and drink. And he tells us in teaching us how to, how to get a grip on these very real needs in our lives that these things are the things that the, that the pagan world, he says the Gentiles, And when Jesus spoke of the Gentiles, he meant the nations surrounding the Jewish people, the nations of the world. So we would say the pagans or it's the lost people in the world. So he says these kinds of concerns about clothing and food and drink and money and possessions, these things, lost people, people who don't know the Lord, they clamor after those things. Do you see it in verse number 32? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. The the word seek there means to pursue, to fret over, to to keep drawing it to yourself and getting as much of it as you can. He says the, the lost world seeks after these things. But in verse 25, verse 31, and a couple of other verses in this passage as well, Jesus says, to his followers, those coming into the kingdom, while the lost world clamors after these material possessions, he looks at us and he says, if y'all are listening, say amen. He says, don't worry about it. Get a grip. Take no fault for these things. Don't clamor about these things. Don't be anxious about these things. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, why not? I have to, we were talking about gasoline earlier. I've got to put gas in my car and I've got, to, I've got to pay the light bill and I need groceries in my pantry. And What do you mean don't worry about those things? Why should I not worry about them? Look at verse 33. He says in verse number 33, or verse number 32, for your heavenly Father Knows that you need these things. Don't worry about those things. You have a heavenly father, and he will provide all of these things to you. Somebody all say, Praise the Lord. I have to tell you, Vic Workman helped me so much in this as we were building this building and we were this long process of, of developing this property and, and, and putting in all the the, um, you know, the roads and the water and the sewer and the electrical and all that, and, and then building these buildings, and it was millions of dollars, and every time we turned around, it was another thing. you know Another th- cost came up, or another thing we had to do. And I would fret and Vic was our, it was my brother and my friend and our building team leader, and he would come along and put his arm beside around me, and he would say, "Our father knows these things." He was just quoting Matthew six thirty two to me. Our Father knows these things. And usually before he said our Father knows these things, he would say, now I need to tell you something, but don't panic. <laughs> That's every time you say don't panic, I panic. But he would say, our Father knows these things. What Jesus is teaching us is that, is that while we have needs in our lives, that we don't have to fret or be anxious over those needs because our Father knows these things you know we're all aware of the of the supply chain crisis that's kind of facing our world right now all the ships sitting out off the coast and the container ships filled with these containers that can't unload for various reasons and supply chains broken down across the world and so there's some products that you need and you can't get and it's months out to get a piece of furniture or various things that you need it's a supply chain crisis. Well, look at verse number 33. He says, your father knows these things and he will supply them. They will be added unto you. Do you hear what Jesus Christ says in verse 33? He says, if you will trust in your heavenly father, God will get in your supply chain. And if God's in your supply chain, you're okay. Amen. God will get in your supply chain. And so he says, I want you to know that your heavenly father knows that you have all of these things. Now, if I know that I have a heavenly father that knows these needs and and I, I can be confident that he is going to supply these needs for me, then I can simply get a grip on being grateful. Now it's no longer completely up to me. Now I have a part to play. Don't misunderstand. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks, but it's not ultimately up to me. It's up to my father and I can learn to just live with gratitude. I can learn to say thank you for the provisions that he offers to me. And so how can we learn to get a grip on gratitude? How can we live with more gratitude for God's provision to us of the things that we need? I'm going to give you two simple, two simple steps to do that out of this passage today, and then we're going to go home. All right, so write them down. Here's the first one. Jesus teaches us that we need to focus our heart on heaven He says that you need to focus your heart on heaven. I wonder how many of us really do that, by the way. It's a very churchy thing to say. It's a very spiritual, biblical thing to to say. But do we really do it, right? I mean, how many of us go through life truly focused on eternity? Or how many of us are anxiously clamoring in this world for all the things that we need and must have and do and collect and gather. And we know we're going to heaven because we've trusted in Jesus. And one day, in the sweet by and by, we'll arrive there. But right now, I'm just all about this. And that's kind of the pot at the end of my proverbial rainbow. I think that's how so many Christians live. But What Jesus says is if you want to get a grip on gratitude... If you want to go through this life with a grateful heart for God's provision for you, then shift your focus. Shift your focus to heaven. Notice what he says. He says, as you live in this life, there are two depositories where you can deposit accumulated treasures. You see this in verse number 19 and 20. He says, there is the bank of the earth on the one hand and the bank of heaven, on the other hand. And every day you're making deposits. And so he says that if you will invest in the bank of earth, this is going to be the outcome. Or if you will invest in the bank of heaven, that will be the outcome. Now, verse number 19, he says, do not lay up or treasure up or store up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Now, that's not to say that in this earth, that if you accumulate a lot of things and there's no, no sin, nothing wrong in, in accumulating things in this earth, but he says if that's where your treasure is, if that's, where you're, if that's where you're heaping all of your treasures, then while you might have some pleasures in this life, there are some risks that come along with that. Write this down first of all. He says that the risk is, in verse number 19, that earthly treasure is vulnerable. It's vulnerable. Verse number 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Why? Because on the earth, moth and rust corrupt. Now, by the way, one of the measures of wealth in the ancient world was in clothing, it was in fine linens and clothing. Those were valuable things. We talked about Joseph's coat of many colors and the value that that had. And If you remember, when Joseph blessed his brothers, he gave them some clothing for their journey, but he gave Benjamin five times the amount of clothing that he gave to his other brothers. Clothing in the ancient world was a sign of great wealth. It wasn't just a sign of wealth. It was actually a store of wealth. And yet, what, was, uh, what were uh, clothing articles vulnerable to? Moths, right? So moths would eat through it and begin to devour it. Or gold or silver or possessions would rust. He said it's, it's, it's at risk. Uh, it says, uh, he says that moth will uh, corrupt it and, and rust will corrupt it and thieves might break through and steal it. So just know this. All the wealth you accumulate, all the deposits you make on the earth, those deposits are at risk. The second thing that he says is a risk in earthly treasures is blindness. Earthly treasures or seeking earthly treasures can blind us. Let Let me show this to you. It's in verses 22 and 23. The light of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single then your whole body will be full of light. Here's what he means. If your eye is focused and healthy, then you can walk through this life with clarity and with light. Imagine it this way. Imagine you're going down a windy mountain road at night when it's a cloudy night. There's no moon, no stars. It's pitch black, dark, and you have good headlights your headlamps are burning brightly, they're clean, and and the light is cutting through the darkness, then you can navigate that road with ease. But imagine if your lights begin to go dim halfway down that mountain. Or if the lights go out completely, then you have no way to navigate down that curvy road because you're in darkness and the light is evil. The light is not healthy. The light is out. Well, He says, in the same way, just like a car or just like your body, you have an eye, and that eye lets in light, and you can navigate through life with light if your eye is healthy. He says in verse 23, but if your eye is evil or unhealthy or unfocused or darting all around, looking at various things, then the body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in thee shall be full of darkness, how great is that darkness? And here's the application. Verse number 23 is the application. If the light within you, if your soul, your soul is the light within you, that light illuminated, that soul illuminated by the light of Christ, if that soul is looking at this world only, darting around, not thinking about eternity, then light is not flooding in and your soul, your life becomes blinded. Begin to live in darkness. All of us know this, that wealth and possessions, if they get a hold of us instead of us getting a hold of them, if they get a grip on us instead of us getting a grip on them, they can blind us to what really matters in this life. How many, how many fathers and husbands have lost their family because life became all about making the dollar and getting all that I could get to the neglect of my family? It happens all the time. How many Christians have gotten off track in their walk with the Lord because their minds got drawn away to the possessions and the allure of this world and life began to be blinded to the things that really matter. So wealth in this world is at risk. It is also uh, can cause blindness in your spiritual walk. The third thing that he says that is a difficulty or a danger with making earthly deposits only, is that it causes us to misplace our affections. That is, that we begin to love the wrong thing. You'll see this in verse number 24. He says, In that verse, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God in wealth, God and mammon. So he says, if, if I'm only making deposits in this life, and if all of my treasures are heaped up here, listen, it's impossible for me to love God. It's impo- I can't do both. So he's not forbidding accumulating wealth in this world. He's just saying, make your deposits in heaven so that ultimately your heavenly balance sheet begins to be larger than your earthly balance sheet. No matter how large your earthly balance sheet is, your heavenly balance sheet is bigger and your affection and your love is toward the Lord. He says, just know if you put all of your treasures in the bank of this world, then you are, you are living at great risk. Now the other place where we can deposit is the bank of heaven. You'll see this again, verse number 20. <clears throat> he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth Verse twenty, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, there's no risk at, at your deposit uh, in heaven. There's no moth in heaven to corrupt. There's no rust in heaven to corrupt. There's no thieves in heaven to break through and steal your uh, your investment in heaven is safe. There's no decay in it. There's no depreciation in it. There's no risk of it uh, disappearing in heaven. So it says, lay up your treasures there, where they will be safe. Well, you might be asking the question, and it's a good question to ask, well, how do I lay up treasures in heaven? How do I do that? I mean, I know how to lay up treasures on the earth. I get that. But what does it look like for me to lay up treasures in heaven? Well, you know, treasures are the result of an investment, right? You don't get treasure stored up by spending. You get treasure stored up by investing. And so if I want to lay up treasures in heaven, then I need to invest in the things that are Eternal, it means I'm investing my life. I get one life, YOLO, right? You only live once. I get one life. And what he says is don't spend your life investing it in treasures here, but rather spend your life investing it in the treasures there. So I lay up treasures in heaven by investing my time in the kingdom of God, by investing my talents or my skills or my gifts in the kingdom of God, by investing my treasure, what God entrusted me financially, in the kingdom of God, by investing my passions in the kingdom of God as I pray, as I worship, as I make disciples, as I train my kids up to know the Lord, as I influence my grandchildren in their walk with the Lord, as I serve other people, as I share the gospel with other people, I invest in people's eternity. All that I'm doing every day is laying up treasures in heaven. In heaven where we'll be with the Lord forever, where we'll be with those who know Christ forever, where we'll be in his perfect glories forever. And as I live my life making those investments, caring about the kingdom and serving and and giving and and praying and worshiping and discipling and sharing, as I'm doing those things every day, this heavenly balance sheet gets greater and greater and greater and greater. Until one day, and have you ever heard anybody say this as they get a little older and they've spent their life investing in heaven, they get to a place in life where they say, you know what, I've got more over there than I do over here. I've got more to go to heaven for than I've got to live for down here. You know what they've done? They've invested so steadily over the course of their lives that their heavenly balance sheet is bigger than their earthly balance sheet. And so they are ready to go and receive that heavenly reward. And so how can I I live with greater gratitude? How can I lay up treasures in heaven? I do that by investing in the things in eternity. That's the first thing that he tells us we should do is that we fix our heart in heaven. Now then the second thing that he tells us in Matthew 6 that we should do uh, if, we, uh, if we want to live with greater gratitude is that we then fix our hope on our heavenly father. My, my heart is focused on heaven, but then in this life my hope is in my heavenly father. Let me give you a newsflash. People who are laying up treasures in heaven still need food and clothing. Amen? Right? We we still have to eat. We still have to get dressed. We still have to, to, to get through this life. So as I'm investing my life in eternity, laying up treasures in heaven, I recognize that I still have needs down here. But this passage tells us, I mentioned it earlier, verse 25, verse 27, verse 28, verse 31, verse 34. Five different verses he says. Jesus says over and over again, look, I know you have needs down here. I know you need to eat. I know you need to drink. I know you need clothing. I know you've got life needs. But here's the word of Jesus. Don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. He doesn't say, don't work. He does not say, don't plant a garden. He doesn't say, don't save some money. He he doesn't say, don't be wise. He just says this. And we'll talk about all those things, but he just says this. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. The King James words it, I think, so beautifully, take no thought why shouldn't I worry? If you are listening, shout amen. Here's why he says, because you're a child of the king. And those concerns are not the considerations of a child. They are the considerations of that child's father. If your son or daughter came to you today and said to you, you know, dad, I'm just really thinking about my shoes for next school year. I'm just really worried about how I'm gonna buy those shoes. Or dad, I know we're planning a menu for next week and I we gotta I'm worried about what we're gonna have for dinner next Tuesday night. You'd go, son, don't worry about it. I got it. It's okay. You don't need to worry about those things. I will take care of those things. And this earth is covered with God's little princes and princesses, God's children, wringing our hands, wondering and worrying about how we're gonna have our basic needs met in the future. And our Father says, Hey, stop worrying about that. I will take care of it. Your Heavenly Father knows what you have need of. Look at verse number 26. He says in this passage, in verse number uh, 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they, they sow not. They don't plant a garden. They don't reap a garden or harvest in a garden. They don't gather uh, into barns. Yet your heavenly Father. Will you say these words, my heavenly Father? Say it, my heavenly Father. One more time, this is beautiful. Say it, my Take no thought. You have a heavenly Father who knows all that you need. And if you wonder and worry, think about the birds of the air. They're not out planting gardens and worrying and and, and gathering into barns. But your Father knows that they need food and he feeds them. And then Jesus asks this rhetorical question at the end of verse 26. Aren't you better than they are? Don't you matter to him? More than a sparrow matters to him. Verses 28 through 30. Consider the the grass. Look how God adorns the grass, which tomorrow is going to be cast into an oven and burned. But he adorns the grass with these beautiful lilies. And these lilies dress that grass more beautifully than Solomon ever robed himself in his royal robes. And if God feeds the birds and God clothes the grass... And you matter more to him than birds or grass. Don't you know that you're heavenly father? This is why Jesus says, look, don't be anxious, but put your hope, trust your heavenly father. Now, I do need to tell you that this promise has a caveat. Th- this promise is, is a promise which comes with a requirement on our part. Did you notice it, by the way, in verse number 33? You seek first the kingdom of God. Well, now that's important. Because what he promises us is when we come into the kingdom and we stop living like worldlings, always and only concerned with the world, but we come into the kingdom and we care about the kingdom. And we live in this world, and we have to have our needs met in this world, but our focus, our emphasis, our life investment is no longer in the world. Now it is in heaven. He says, as you're laying up treasures in heaven and you're focusing on the kingdom, I know you need these things. I'm going to take care of those things for you. He says, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's interesting when uh, you you look at the beginning of this statement uh, where he says that these are the things, these earthly things are the things that the, the pagans seek after. The word for seek after means to clamor, panicking almost, holding it close, working hard, anxiously getting all that they can. When he uses the word in verse number 33, you seek the kingdom of God. The superlative part of that word is removed. So the idea of seeking is not clamoring with with panic. It's just every morning, every day, steadily. It is the course of my life. What matters to me is the kingdom of God. And I'm going to seek it. I'm going to lay up treasures there. I'm going to invest my time and my energy and my passions and my life and my kids' lives and our calendars and our checkbooks and all that we are. We're just going to pour it into the kingdom of God so that we can just build up treasures in heaven. And as we go through this world pouring into the kingdom of God, building up treasures in heaven, he says, I've got this other stuff taken care of. And you know what that allows me to do? Just to say, thank you, Lord. So I bow my head over my food. You with me? And I don't say, boy, I worked hard to bring home the bacon. I say, thank you, Lord, for this bounty in front of me. Or I get up in the morning and I put on my clothing and I lace my shoes. And I don't say, got the finest and the best because I worked hard for that. I say, thank you, Lord, that you've provided for me what I need. I shift my heart, I trust my Father, and then I can just live with gratitude. And So I hope this Thursday, when your, when your crew gets together, whoever your crew is, if you have a Thanksgiving gathering, you might do what we do at our house. We, we have a habit of doing this over the years. Before we're allowed to say the blessing and eat, Everybody, including the kids, have to tell something that they're thankful for. We just have to go around and say, oh, I'm thankful for you know, this or that. and It's always a lot of fun and you hear various things. I hope this Thursday somebody will say, you know, I just thank God that he's my father. And he knows what I need. Mean. And everything I have is provided by my father.